uh, favorite fall activity? Maybe somebody said this. Anyone say football or watching football? Nobody cares. Three people. Um, uh, I think, I mean, at least watching football feels like fall, right? It, it comes on TV. All of a sudden, I hear that. You hear the announcer's voices, and you're like, oh, it's like fall. It feels warm. It feels like, oh, okay, it's time to like, eat chili and watch some football. Our Sunday afternoons might be filled a little bit with this. Um, and as uh, growing up as a kid from Wisconsin, I was not a Vikings fan. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to be a Vikings fan, but being someone who loves the place I live and the people I live, I would say I'm a Vikings fan when they're not playing the Packers. And last week, uh, again, if you're a football fan, was a heartbreaking week, a very heartbreaking week. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you a warning that I'm about to show a video, and it might really, it might be pretty graphic for some of you. <laughs> uh, but I need to show this. Because I think it's really going to help us as we move into a time here in Hosea, uh, as we continue to study. But let's just relive last Sunday for just one moment. I'm really sorry. If this is hard for you, you can step out for a minute. But hopefully, uh, let's, just, let's just sit in this one more time. Look at that. Look at how close that is. Oh. Can you, even the announcer, he wants it so, it's good. And then do you, do you hear the voice? Oh. Like the, the groan. Oh, if you're unaware, the history of the Vikings, as it happens fairly often, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. To have something happen, not just like one time, oh, we lost that game, we could have won that, but in huge games and historic moments for this team, over and over and over, kickers seem to be the problem. In fact, Chris Carter, who's an old player here, tweeted this right after. Just made it very clear how he felt with a, a lot of emojis. Look at that, angry emojis, swearing emojis. Wow, this guy's not happy. And, and, and it follows, right? And any time this has happened in the Vikings history, it gets wild how quickly the people want to uh, fire the kicker, fire the coach. People have very quick comments. I, after the game, I was just online quick and how quickly people already had like YouTube videos up analyzing the game and why the kicker is terrible. There's a long, long history of really sad uh, kicker moments for the Vikings. I mean, moments that just feel like, do we even need kickers? Should we ever kick again? You just, you just want to, right? The reaction to a game like that and in the, because of, uh, of social media and all that we have, instantly people can tell you what they feel and their feeling is, get rid of him. He should be out. Or it's not his fault, it's the coach's fault. Hey, we should support him. Hey, this is terrible. Quickly memes are created, quickly videos, uh, all sorts of funny things, maybe if you're not a Vikings fan, but um, it's wild how quick when someone doesn't perform, when someone doesn't do what you're expecting. And then when it happens over and over uh, you, you want to get rid of them. You want to say, forget it, or at least bench them for a while. At least, I mean, at least say some terrible things online about them just to get that out, right? There's this reaction that we have when people don't do what we want them to do and uh, aren't faithful to what their calling is, uh, and we quickly turn on them. I mean, it's just a little moment, right? After the, I mean, to quickly tweet out, I hate kickers. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he, he shares, I think a lot of people maybe shared that or felt that. We are in the book of Hosea, and I, we're in a moment where this easily could happen, I, and understandably could happen, where God has explained his people's unfaithfulness. That not just that one thing, but over and over, 
you missed the kick. Over and over, you turn from me. And the book of Hosea is going to explain to us what happens in this moment. This week, I was actually just uh, researching a little bit more about Hosea. And I came across this, which I think is really helpful as we enter into this, the posture that we have as we look at Hosea again this week. It's really important that we understand this book. So this is just a Google search of what does Hosea teach us? What does Hosea mean? This is the first thing that came up. Hosea teaches us that it is our job to calm troubled waters and create a sense of national harmony. So if we walk into the book of Hosea and say, this book is about us and about us uh, doing what's right, not missing kicks, that I think we miss the book. I was actually really surprised. I went, that's wild. That's the first statement, the book. And I think it's very true that we enter into our study of the Bible as we enter this, this today. I just want us to get a, the right posture. And we think often that it's all uh, about us, right? I checked and it's not <laughs> always about us. In fact, if, if we're talking about opening the scriptures, this is one of the real dangers I think we have is we open it and we just go like, what is this? How is this about me? How does it affirm maybe something that I already want to do or am doing? And the book of Hosea is great because it really helps us pull back and say, oh, this is a book not about how great we are or, or gives us tips on how to do things right. This is a book that reminds us of this incredible God we have, this incredibly faithful God that we have. This God that actually... Um, when we continually miss the kick and not miss the kick in this book, we're talking about being unfaithful, adulterous people. Doesn't say, I hate you, you're gone. This is a book uh, that is a picture of marriage. And so if, if you haven't been with us, a real quick uh, intro to it. This is a book where God comes to a prophet, a person who's going to speak for him and doesn't just speak, but he's going to act out what the kingdom of God looks like. He's going to show through his marriage. He's going to say, Hey, Hosea, I want you to marry an unfaithful woman because I want to kind of show, act out what it looks like for me to be a faithful husband still to a very unfaithful, adulterous woman, one that chases after many lovers and still I will be faithful. I will uphold my end of the covenant with her. It's really a story about a faithful God. So that's my hope today that if nothing else, we leave here and we're reminded that we have a very faithful God who pursues us even when we continue over and over to be ones who he, would, he could just tweet that he hates us. Now, before we uh, just hop into the passage, uh, just, just as we bring up even, I say the word marriage, for some of us, there's probably lots of feelings. Actually, probably hopefully everyone, there's some feelings when I say marriage, from your experiences, from maybe your own hurt, you know, we'd love it if we just said marriage and everyone went, oh yeah, that's the story of two people who are faithful to one another and love each other in all things. They never fight. They never become bitter. They're always thinking about one another. But because we're sinful people, we, that doesn't happen, right? All of us have experienced something difficult, something troubling. Marriage for some can feel like a lot of trouble, a lot of difficulty. And so, it's important for us to consider and know that feeling, like what's, what's coming up, what are we already bringing into it and not saying, this is what I know marriage is, I've seen it, it's hurtful. And then say, oh, that must be the when God uses marriage as an illustration, that must be then what our marriage like is to God. This is what's really great about Jose. It's gonna remind us actually of what, what it actually really looks like with God. And that this picture that we get of marriage is actually a kind of broken picture of it. And this, it doesn't go the other way. This is explaining 
how God looks to us. So let's get into it. Let's remind ourselves of a little bit where we were. In Hosea 2, 5, um, as we get into our passage today, uh, a little bit farther, and we're just going to back up and remember where we're at. This, Hosea 2, 5 says words like this, your mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. He's talking about to the children of Hosea's wife. And she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me my food and my water, my wool, my linen, my olive oil, my drink. Then he goes on. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain and wine and oil and lavished her with gold, silver and gold, which they used for Baal. That's the name of the God, their master that they worshiped that wasn't Yahweh, that wasn't God. And so there's this place where saying, you, you ran to other things to get the provisions and all that I give you, thinking that they actually bring life to you and I'm the one who brings life to you. That's the definition, that's what sin is, is us running to these other things, these idols. And God says, then I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. So this is really where we find ourselves. This is, this is a kick that missed the field goal. She gets herself all dressed up to try to allure the gods to her, to try to make them happy so they will love her. And in that she forgets God, forgets who he is. And so at this moment, I could see God tweeting this out. If I was God, this is what I would tweet. I hate gomers. Someone has to have tweeted this in real life. I couldn't find it. But I think in this moment, God would say, right, if I was God, I'm not. Disclaimer, I'm not at all. But I'd say, oh, I hate Gomer so much. I hate this wife who keeps turning from me. Who's, I give her everything. And then she says, oh, I'm going to go to this other thing because they're going to give me everything. No, 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 no. I, I'm the one who's been giving you. I give you love. I, I give you provision. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. But here's what's cool. Our God isn't that God. And so today we get to hear the great hope that is our God. And so we're in a Hosea 2. We'll mostly just be in this passage today. If you have a Bible and like to follow along, all the passages will be on the screen otherwise. So right after this happens, as, as we're reading this poetry of, of how God feels about us, he's explaining our deep sin, our, our, our deep fall, our unfaithfulness. You would think he would say, and I hate them. I'm going to go find another wife. But instead he says these words, listen to these. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Right away you might've heard the word allure. That word maybe to you could feel like kind of weird. That could make you go like, ooh, allure isn't a word I typically uh, use. Or that word seems like it's, kind of connected to like a, a sultry thing or a seductive kind of thing. Now, all, all this word is meaning is drawing her in. I'm going to draw her in. How? I'm going to speak tenderly to her. There's, there's not going to be a string of swearing emojis when I talk to her. Can you imagine how hurtful this unfaithfulness, this adultery is? And then his response is, I'm going to draw her back in. 
Those idols seem to allure her away. I'm going to draw her to me and I'm going to do that through speaking tenderly. If you can imagine a couple whose marriage maybe is, is on the rocks, is in a tough spot, and maybe the husband or the spouse decides, we're going to go back and kind of relive some of these moments. Maybe the place we met, the place we had our first date, maybe the first kiss we had. Maybe we'll reread these old love letters. We're going to remind ourselves of why we fell in love. Remind ourselves of the things I really loved about you and the dreams and the future that we had together. He's going to draw her back in. He's going to give her her vineyards back that were taken from her because of her sin. He's going to restore that to her. Not just, hey, you've really messed up. I guess you can hang out with me. There's this incredible love where he's drawing her back in. And then it mentions this uh, valley, and this door, what is going on there? Well, the, the valley of Achor, Ancor, uh, was a name that was given to a place that we see uh, in the book um, of Isaiah. It's actually mentioned in a few places. It's a name of a place, and the place doesn't have a real great history to it. It's a place actually that was um, given by God. It's a place where Israel entered when they entered the land of Canaan and God promised to fight for them there and give them this land. And as a sign of this, they were to not take any of the treasures that they got. So they, God said, I'll let you into this area. I'm gonna let you win this, but I, I don't want you to just take all the stuff from the people. The point here is that you're gonna get this land and be in this place together. It's not that you go and steal all of the treasures of the, of the war. Normally all that went to the person who won the war, but God said, no, no, I, I'm the victor. You're not the real victor. I'm the one who wins this. I, I'm asking you not to do this, but actually what happened was an Israelite named Achan couldn't resist and he took all the spoils of war. And so God actually judged him. He said, I asked you not to do that. And so they actually take him to this place, this valley, and they take like all of his stuff and they expose him and they execute him. It becomes a valley known for this. We see this uh, actually in the book of Joshua, not Isaiah, Joshua. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? He's now talking. He's brought them all this valley, uh, this person, his family. He says, the Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him. And after that, they stoned the rest and they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since, the Valley of Trouble. And so God, it says here, he's going to take a Valley of Trouble and make it into a Valley of Hope, a door of hope. This Valley that represents sin and defeat and judgment of sin which is really, this is what we expect, right? We expect, hey, you have been so unfaithful. You're, you're gonna die and we're gonna pile rocks on you. And instead God says, no, I'm gonna draw you in. I'm gonna speak tenderly to you. I'm gonna turn this valley of trouble, uh, which would be the name of their book. If they wrote a book about their marriage, it'd be called Valley of Trouble. <laughs> I'm gonna turn that into a door of hope. I'm going to turn this place, like God does, trouble into hope. He's going to take this place that feels like we're walled in, 
that sin has, has captured us, has cornered us. We're, we're piled, rocks piled on us because of our pursuit of idols. Tall walls of rock around us, clouds rolling in, feeling like there's really no hope. This is it. Why did I keep turning to things other than the one who brings life? And he's going to turn into a door of hope. Not because we did some great work, not because we became really great uh, spouses to our God, but because God will make a door of hope in a place that feels like we're leading ourselves to death. God will come. Jesus will be born. He'll live his life. He will come and take on that payment. He'll be the one that gets the I hate Gomer tweets. Jesus becomes broken, tired, troubled. He becomes the troubled people. And he's killed and he's put in the rocks and he's covered with rocks. But thank God he doesn't stay dead because he then rises. The door opens, he comes alive and now we get to come alive our groom has rescued us. From trouble to hope, from hurting people to healed, from death to life, from being cornered to now being free. God says, you put yourself in this place, I'm gonna make a door out. You, you have a way out back into this relationship. It continues. There she will respond in the days of her youth as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. He's bringing her out of the desert. Remember, again, he's giving this, this great call back to this story of the Israelites. Remember when you were slaves to Egypt and then I rescued you out of there? When you thought you were cornered by the Red Sea and you had no hope and this was it? You were dead? And then I opened the seas and you became free. Remember that? We're going to do that again. You're going to be free. We're going to turn from the sin. You're going to be free again. And there's going to be another exodus that's not just going to save you from this oppressive leader from slavery in Egypt. It's going to save you from sin and death and from Satan. You're free again. And I love the language that he uses here. He says, you're going to call me your husband now. This person that you're in relationship with, this person who loves you, that has a covenant with you, that's not leaving you, that's not using you, that actually his job is to make you more beautiful and no longer call me my master. So the word actually my master is the same word for Baal. So Baal actually means my master. Instead of having a master who rules over you like you had in Egypt, you now have a husband who loves you, who's with you. No longer forced to work for rewards but you're loved now without strings. No longer wondering if your husband, if your master will even show up to give you what you want, but a faithful, pursued life of a husband who's always with you. You no longer, get, you no longer have to use those names. What good news that is for her to hear the words, you no longer have to say those names. That's not your master. I am now your husband. And then he finishes by continuing to encourage us in this great pursuit he has of us. In that day, I'll make a covenant for them 
with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle will I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. That's not, he's going to create a safe place where there, there's, no, there's no danger coming. He's going to create a household with his people where they don't have to worry about battle and, and sword and, and military conquests. There are people who are constantly worried about the other nations around them coming to take over. In fact, right in, the his, in this time of history in the world when Hosea is happening, uh, Assyrians are coming in and are going to take over. They're going to be again put under the, the rule of people. And he says, that's not, that's not for my people. My people will be with me and they will be safe. I will betroth you to me forever. Betroth is like a stronger word for engagement. I'm, a, I'm, I'm making a promise. It's like the, a fir, the beginning of the marriage. I will again marry you. Even for all that has happened, I am gonna again marry you. I'll be with you forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice in love and compassion. I will betroth you um, in love and compassion, I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. He says, I'm gonna keep marrying you. You, you might have heard this, like I remember uh, when we were early in our marriage and we were asking like advice from people because pretty quickly you realize like you don't, you don't know what you're doing and that your like sweet love for each other isn't all you need. And so we were asking people, hey, we don't know what we're doing. And uh, I remember people saying a phrase like, you got to like remarry each other, or recommit to those vows each day. There's something you, you, you can't just kind of hope it happens. And God here is saying, I am going to, I'm going to remarry you. I'm, I'm with you. And then he, he does this cool thing. He actually gives you gifts when you're married. You, if you've been married or to a wedding, right? There's a moment where people give each other a ring at the wedding. That's not a thing that actually is like a legal thing. When you get married, it's not like in the state of Minnesota, they say you have to give each other a piece of metal that's circular and you have to put it on your certain finger on your hand or you're not married, right? It's just a symbol that we use at weddings. In fact, some people, right, get tattoos. Some people buy $10 fake metal rings on Amazon, right? You think it's really not the value of this ring, like the actual like $10 I spent on it hypothetically on Amazon, but it's the, it's the, actual like symbol, right? You're saying, I'm giving you this gift because it reminds me of this covenant I made with you. When you're wearing this, when I'm walking down the street and, and I feel this and I play with it, it reminds me that there's a woman who said, I love you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to marry you over and over each day. God gives us a gift way better than a ring. He says, on your wedding day, I'm going to give you again, I'm going to give you righteousness. You'll be made right I'm going to give you justice. Oh, how we want. I'm going to give you love and compassion. These are my gifts to you on this day. Think of the moment. Think of that moment. This is someone who has been turning away, has been dressing themselves to allure other gods to them, other lovers to them. And then their husband says, I want to give you the gift of love and compassion. Now, I hope you can turn this around and do better, and then maybe we'll start with a little bit of love and maybe a, a hint of compassion, and then eventually you show me you can do this, and I will maybe, we'll get back to at least 90% of the compassion you used to get. He says, in your sin and in the place you're in, here's the gift of righteousness and justice and compassion, faithfulness. 
Oh, how in that moment you would just, just cling to that faithfulness. Thank you. You're still faithful to me when I have been so unfaithful to you. I think as, if you read this passage in, in your Bible, right, it's going to be one long, like, poetic phrase. And so not far above this place that we were just in is a passage uh, in Hosea 2.13. So just above this, right, if we could somehow fit this on this screen. We probably could, actually. It's pretty big. Um, it says this. This is the end of the one that we read. This is the missed kick moment. It says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Right, she turned to their gods. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. So she dresses up and says, I'm gonna allure you and I'm gonna do what I can and, and do the most so that you will wanna be with me. You wanna be faithful to me. You wanna give me love and compassion or something, right? Uh, just affirm things. I, I wanna make you stick around. So she does that. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Hear how, how, look at how this one ends. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you'll acknowledge the Lord. It's the same phrase as this one. So, so Israel's response and our response can be, God, I'm gonna do whatever I can to draw these gods in, to, to make them control them or make them do what I want. I'm gonna make this thing will be my hope and it will fulfill me and I'm going to forget who you are. I'm not going to remember who you are. I won't know you. And God says, I am going to allure you in. This is actually really how you're created. You're created to be drawn in by God. He's going to love you. He's going to bring justice and compassion. He's going to pursue you. And then you're going to know him. You keep working and dressing yourself up so that you can be with me. Just, just stop. In, in your messy sin, in your, in your dirtiness, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to draw you in and you're going to know me. You can't help but knowing me. And we're going to have a long marriage where I'm going to continue to pursue you and be with you. Stop decking yourself out to try to allure these others in. Just stop and let me draw you in. Let me bring you close. We were at Culver's the other day after a, a, a volleyball game, and we were eating uh, out on the patio, but inside, like right inside the window was a, like an older couple having dinner, and they were like, like a sweet older couple. Like they weren't just like arguing the whole time. <laughs> and they had this vibe, right? This isn't them. I actually found them and then we went and took photos in a field. But oh, but it felt like this. Have you ever had this where you see it? You saw a couple and you went, oh. Like all these things flood, I think, oh, I hope that Kelly and I make it that long. And I hope I like still can't wait to hold her hand, kiss her hand. They were so cute. They were uh, like giggling. I couldn't hear them, right? Because they were just through the window. But they were giggling and uh, he kept trying to steal her fries and she was slapping his hand. <laughs> which is like kind of cute. She might've been swearing, who knows? I didn't hear, right? But in my mind, she was very sweet. She was having trouble getting up as they left. So he like helped her up and then like kind of held her up as they walked out. They were laughing. I thought, gosh, all those years, all that sin between them. Think of all the forgiveness that had to happen between them. All that love, all that pursuit of one another. 
I mean, it's like, I mean, really, you get like, I mean, I get teary now, and then the moment you're like, oh, like it just made my, it made my cheese curds taste so much better having that experience. I mean, I, I mean, I guess a lot of us respond that way. Watching something that you go, wow, I aspire to that. Does it get better than that? It gets so much better than that. We have a God who does it day after day after day to us. It's nothing compared to the pursuit of our God for his bride. Our faithfulness, his loving, his tender talk to us. Oh, he, he hates our sin and our unfaithfulness, but it doesn't make him leave, right? He loves his gomers. <laughs> I'm gonna start selling shirts so you can go to I love mygomers.com. Actually, don't. I don't know what that website is, so don't go there. <laughs> I think it's helpful to be reminded of something. This, this I heard first from Tim Keller, but I think I actually, when you look it up, it's one of those quotes that like uh, a lot of people get attributed to. It's just a good gospel truth. I think it's good for us to be in this, to remember this, that you are more sinful than you ever thought you were. You're a gomer. It's okay. You're a gomer. That's it. Say yes, confess that but not forget the other part that really is really important to remember about our God, that you're more loved than you ever, ever dreamed that you could be. And you might be someone who sits in one of these more. You go, I am terrible. How could God love me? And you spend a lot of time even just struggling to believe that. And maybe you're someone who goes, yeah, I'm very lovable. How could people not love me? And it's very hard to accept. How could I, I don't think I do anything wrong. I could let me uh, one time, maybe, maybe. This, this full gospel. I want to encourage you as we end here, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing to remind ourselves of the gospel, to just respond to this gospel. They're going to come up and sing. But as we do, I want to remind you, you might say, I don't know how to do this. Like, how do I, how do I remind myself? Of how do I allow God, God's faithfulness to wash over me so that I would know him and, and, and be a Lord and be drawn in, drawn in to him? What's well, one of those great things that you could come on Sunday. This is why we gather to remind ourselves of the gospel, to sing together to, in his community. You also have um, maybe a, a paper, one of these, it's a Bible, or maybe it's on your phone, or you can look it up on the internet. Um, just to encourage you in this, this, this is one of the reasons why we open this book, to continually be reminded of who our God is and not just think this is all about us and think, I already know about me, I don't need this. I want to share with you two passages that have really impacted me in the last few weeks that really remind us of this. This is from 2 Corinthians 4. Um, I just, as I'm reading through my Bible, I was actually reading through because of this uh, book of Hosea. I've been reading passages that remind me of what happens when we're in trouble. And this one came up, this is in 2 Corinthians 4. And, and I've been meditating just on this passage to remind me of who my God is, to let him draw me in. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. How do I not lose heart? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Does that sound familiar? Kind of we're getting, like getting remarried each day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs of them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I fix my eyes on him who is eternal and faithful. That's how I don't grow weary. That's how trouble doesn't take me over. That's how the valley of trouble isn't my home. That there's been a door that leaves out of there and that has led me to Romans 5. Romans 5, 6. Somewhere, there we go. 
You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He, he passionately pursued us with love and righteousness and justice and, get, and calls you to that. And that's what we get to do. When we say, do you have faith in Jesus? You're saying, I believe that Christ has done the work so that I can be in that relationship. So as we take a moment to reflect, we want you to take a moment just to, to consider, to respond. It's something that we find really important here at Hope. We want to respond to the gospel, not just, not just come and, and be good people. Our goal is to respond and let the gospel like fill us and that would overflow us, that, that, would, that would change us. And so we do things like praying because of that. I believe this truth. Yes, God, you're good and faithful. I, I, I thank you. We want to pray. We sing in response. We give in response. It's one of the ways uh, we respond. And, and these are just some questions maybe to ponder, to consider as we just, do you know that Jesus turned the valley of trouble into the door of hope? It's there. It's there for you. Do you have faith in that? Does your view of God cause you to want to know him more? So you're saying, God does not, I am not drawn to that kind of a husband, to that kind of a relationship. I, I'd, I'd ask you to consider maybe what, who is that person? I don't, I don't know if you actually maybe understand who that God is. It's pretty hard not to be drawn to him when we really do understand and know who he is. Are you trying to allure God to you or allowing God to draw you in? Are you just trying to do the most? Or do you think, if I can just do this right, God will want me. And he's saying, I'm right here and I want you. You're distracted even by your own work. And how could you do this week better to know God? What could you do this week? Is that maybe having people remind you of that? Is that hopping into your small group reminding you that? Is there a friend who can text you? Is is the word of God something that that you can go to day by day to restore you and build you? What does that look like? Is it something you need to maybe listen to? I know just for me, listening to worship music often kind of restores my heart, brings me back to that. I'm going to pray for us. That's one of the ways we can respond. We can just say, God, oh, you are good. You've just given us, you just put the ring on us. He said, I love you, I'm with you. And then, I don't know, this is really awkward. I don't know what to do. We respond to him. So let's respond now. We're gonna pray and sing together in response to our good God. Lord, you are so good. We don't deserve, none of us deserve this. Oh, it is good to be loved. It is good to be spoken to tenderly after we have harshly dealt with you. I pray you would, would work in hearts today that we'd believe this, that it would heal our hearts, that it would root out sin in our hearts, that it would change us, that it would fill us, and that we could be people who get to love in this way others around us, that people would come to know you, that they would have hope, that the door of hope would be open to them because, because of us getting to tell them this good news. I pray, Lord, you, you would speak to each of us and, and to those around us. I pray that you bring great joy to our community, to students in this school that will walk in here this week, that your gospel could, will, will go out and change hearts. Um, we can't wait to hear that news. And Lord, just right now, help us sit in this. As we sing these words, they would be words that we mean in response to your good gospel. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for drawing us back in. Thank you that your response is not what my response would be, but, but your good, good, faithful response. We love you, Lord. Thanks for being so good to us. Amen.